This is a special episode of the Hakai Magazine Audio Edition. Adventure psychologist Paula Reed, long-distance paddleboarder Carl Kruger, and first-time Race to Alaska participant Douglas Smith discuss what drives individuals to tackle extreme adventures. Hosted by editor Jude Isabella. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Jude Isabella, founding editor of Hackeye Magazine, and welcome to our online event, Salt, Sweat, and Grit, which is available on YouTube, where it will also be recorded. So let's get some housekeeping out of the way. Um, I'll be chatting with our panel for about 30 minutes before taking questions from the audience. Now, for those joining um, on Zoom, if you have a question, there's a Q&A button at the bottom of the screen. We have someone who are monitoring the questions and we'll try to answer as many as we can. Um, so now I'll just get into our event here. Now this online event, Salt, Sweat and Grit, was inspired by a feature we published a few weeks ago, Surviving the Race to Alaska by Alden Chuelos. Now the Race to Alaska, also known as R2AK, is one of the most grueling at sea races, taking participants from Port Townsend, Washington to Ketchikan, Alaska, where they navigate some complicated currents, narrow rocky channels and inclement weather. The premise is simple, travel more than 1200 kilometers with no motors, no support and a $10,000 award waiting for the winner. And the second place gets a lovely set of steak knives. Racers prepare sailboats, kayaks, paddle boards, or any other non-motorized vessel for a chance to put their paddle to the metal in the ultimate marine race. But what drives people to take on such extreme adventures? Now here to help answer that question are three panelists. Paula Reed, an adventure psychologist who has raced a yacht around the world, skied to the South Pole, and cycled across 13 countries, just finishing the 13th France last week, and she cycled over 600 miles. Carl Kruger, who's the first person to complete the race to Alaska by paddleboard, which he accomplished in 14 days, beating several boats. Carl is also planning an unsupported paddle through the Northwest Passage in the Canadian Arctic this summer. And we have Doug Smith, who is on a boat right now, actually so is Carl. <laughs> Doug entered the race to Alaska for the first time this year, and he will be sailing solo under the name Team Dark Star. So um, in the words of Race to Alaska's founder, Jack Beatty, the coastline from Port Townsend to Victoria to the finish line is breathtaking and humbling and instructive. The goal of the race is to get people to have an unfiltered experience with who they could be. It's an endeavor based on the hardest kind of simplicity. So my first question is for all of you. Do these goals of personal betterment, humility, struggle and simplicity, simplicity, do they resonate? Or is it something else that compels you to take such a voyage? Carl, why don't you go first? Hmm. Yeah, straight under the bus. Um, <laughs> all of those things resonate actually. Um, you know, when I signed up for the race to Alaska on a paddleboard, um, the notion was to go in on the simplest craft possible um, and to turn up 
the requirements of me, you know, um, not having a support group around and just be me, myself and I, and to have that experience in the least filtered way possible. Um, yeah, all, all those comments by Jake definitely resonate for me. Okay, great. And Paula, what's motivated you to yacht, ski and cycle around the world? Resonate with me too, actually. I'm pleased to hear them because it's um, some quite subtle and quite complex motivations and emotions involved in these things, not as obvious as, you know, death-defying risk or, or bravery, but I quite like those. So for me, it's all about living life to the full. I, um, I don't necessarily believe in life after death, but I do believe in life before death and um, I'm milking it for as much as we can get. So whether that's tough, challenging, easy, funny, outrageous, crazy. For me, it's really about living life to the full and making the most of it and kicking the ass out of it. <laughs> awesome. Um, now, Doug, why did you sign up for the race to Alaska this year? Oh, I think you need to unmute. <laughs> he's probably saying something really interesting I know. yeah i know well he is on a boat <laughs> somewhere <laughs> he's madly making preparations for next week is what i know no. <laughs> like, now i'm unmuted how about that okay fantastic um, thanks there, we figure you have a lot on your mind right now you know of course i do because i am as usual unprepared for what i've undertaken here and uh, working hard to get ready um you know i um my wife i live in alaska a little town of 800 people and i've taught school for a long time and uh and, and my summers have been spent sailing southeast alaska and the northern bc coast for the last 35 years with my wife and uh we just love you know talkeetna the town i live in is up by denali national park it's not on salt water and we both love you know the northwest coast so we'd sail every summer for two months and um you know she died two years ago quite unexpectedly and uh so there are, and then covid hit and so i was kind of sitting in my cabin in the dark and cold in the winter going oh my god what am i doing with my life and sadly or perhaps wonderfully uh the r2ak popped up on my screen somehow as i was wondering how am i going to keep sailing you know by myself can i sail by myself and uh I've been a boat builder for a long time. So somehow um, needing something to do with my life and having this vision of, yeah, I'd love to keep sailing this coast. Why not do it, you know, the stupidest way possible by myself, unsupported, passing by all these beautiful bays with creeks and bears, campfires, eating seafood every day. Instead, you know, just sail right by them, eat glop instead of fish tacos and see if I can do it. So it's a personal challenge and it kind of pulled me out of a uh, real funk. So the boat is now close to done. You can see it's uh, sort of got, you know, it's in a bit of a mess right now, but um, yeah, it's been, just been a, a vision that wouldn't let go of me. And even when the boat got done two months ago, I was like, really, am I going to follow through on this thing? And here, here I am ready, almost ready to go. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Um, Paula, you study the psychology of adventure. What does a journey like this take? Not only physically, but mentally, emotionally. So much. There's probably 300 things that it, it takes. Emotions, motivation, mental strength. So, so the basics, um, I, I also believe in preparation before departure. So it does take some investment in the mind as well as the body and the kit beforehand. 
Um, so it takes some mental prep and time dedicated to that as well before departure. But on, on the adventure, um, ideally an open exploratory mind. So whether you call it the growth mindset or, or being exploratory or open-minded, because you've got to be so agile to be able to kind of go with the flow. Um, so, so an open mind, an open heart. Um, then you've got the resilience or mental toughness or grit. So the absolute determination and commitment to see it through, to, to ride the tough stuff. So that requires a definite mental toughness. Um, quite often to um, reposition or re reframe when it gets really shitty. So being able to um, twist a disaster or a huge difficulty or, or big anxiety or depression into something that's a, an opportunity or something that rises your spirits a bit. Um, teamwork, obviously, not necessarily for Doug, but, but for other people who are having to work together. Um, and then some sort of vision or end point that you can aim for. But then when it gets really tough, to really rein that back in and just do the step-by-step -step survival mode. So knowing when to, you know, gun for the finishing line and get all excited about the, the visionary end, but also to have to just get through one determined step at a time when it gets really tough. So that, that flexibility and adaptability is crucial as well. Right. Um, Doug, so you... Um... You're set to sail next week. You haven't quite finished your boat, it sounds like. But you must well, be but I'm fine too. And, you know, I'm putting a little extra rigging on here right. and there. I'm, I'm putting up my radar reflector today, okay. among other things. So, good. Yeah. good plan. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but aside from building your boat and, you know, physically getting ready, how have you been preparing? Uh, you know, lists, lists on lists, basically, um, you know, I think, um, you know, the psychological part of this whole thing is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a very long way. And I, like I say, I've sailed this coast, I kind of know what it can dish out. And I have absolutely no intention of attempting to win. It's a personal quest to try to finish, uh, for me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, preparation-wise, I mean, I could go to, uh, oh, well, I bought a, uh, I'm going to be rowing instead of like cycling to uh, when there's no wind. So, you know, I bought a rowing machine at Costco. I don't know if that's much of a preparation, but it didn't work very well. So I took it back, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, just trying you know i did a lot of skiing in the way we're trying to stay fit enough to do this but i uh you know psychologically it's going to be i think an interesting battle for me mm -hmm. you know sticking with it through the middle it's a long middle on this thing and we'll see how that goes now carl in 2017 you became the first and only person to complete the race by stand-up paddleboard and you were solo um so i have a two-part question here one do you have any advice for for Doug, who's yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's cheating. He's got a boat. You have a point. Just kidding. Uh, well, a lot that Paula said uh, resonated uh, with me. You know, um, you know, I, I've said a you know many times to people. You know, just like in life, right? There's good times and there's bad times, you know, and, and you have to know why you're experiencing either of those two things that it's going to change. Mm 
Um, you have to know when things are really good and the sun's out and everything is just wonderful and rainbows that, you know, probably won't be too long before it changes and just be ready for that. You know, just, just know that it could change. Um, and likewise, when you're there and it's just pouring down rain and you're pulling on that paddle and you're not making way and you're hungry, cold, wet, tired, and, um, you just have to know and recognize that this too will pass and you just keep going, you know? Uh, and in those hardest moments, you know, during that paddle, um, I would start toes up and work on my breath and turn it into the meditation exercise that it is. Um, just check in with my body and, and then my surroundings, you know, um, I would look at those raindrops and think about the patterns on the surface of the water. I would focus on the wavelets and the patterns they made. And I would think about the different wave trains and different swell trains that I was experiencing and just try to figure out how large and maybe how far away that weather system was that produced this swell train. And just, I would, I would dive into those things. And before you knew it, you know, I'd, I'd look up and I'd come back to myself and realize that 20 miles just vaporized behind me, you know, um, when I was close to shore, I'd cluck at the Ravens and see if I could get them going, you know, and, um, you know, it was a lot of that, you know, just what, whatever it took to dive into what my surroundings were and get out of my own head and that quote unquote knife fight in the phone booth that can happen in there. Um, when you're having those hard times, um, Right. And, and what I realized is that I dearly love being alone. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is helpful. I have to say, I just heard you say hungry, cold, wet, tired, like it was one word. So it is. <laughs> I think I'm going to use that from now on. Hungry, cold, wet, tired. <laughs> you know, yeah. at, one, at one point on your paddleboard in that race, when all the sailboats were hunkering down for a storm, you were setting off to catch the slack tide and strong winds. So, you know, I've got to ask, how do you know if you're in over your head? Um, you know, that, that, that's usually pretty obvious, you know, I mean, the, the trick is to see it before it happens. Um, and, you know, I spend a lot of time on the water um, and, you know, on my paddleboard too, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a happy place for me. I, I do a lot of downwind paddling and, um, you know, not so much racing, you know, I've got a, a race actually this Friday night, it's a 70 mile race. Um, they give you 48 hours to finish it, but most years I finish in about 14 to 16. Um, but anyway, that night, you know, when I got that weather report, you know, there's a Southeast gale in Johnstone Strait, and, um, knowing Johnstone Strait, and also knowing the kinds of conditions I've been out in on stand up paddle boards for fun, you know, like, so every single, every time, you know, there's a group of us here on Orcas Island, um, and all over the world, really, it's a sport kind of in, in and of itself, uh, downwind stand-up paddling, um, where we wait for storm systems and go out in that, he those heavy conditions on boards, and you can pick up a wave and surf it for miles, you know, it's, wow. and, um, I've done, I've done quite a lot of that as well as surfing and stuff, and so when I listen to the weather report, and heard the wind velocity and looked at the timing of the currents and everything. Um, it was like some kind of gift from heaven. It was perfect. You know, what I, what I was looking at was a 70 mile downwinder. Um, and so I, I got right into it. You know, there, there, I, I couldn't, I couldn't let that opportunity pass because, you know, in Johnstone straight, a lot of times you can get these real strong Northwesterlies and, 
you know, and I was really watching closely for that because um, that would have been a horrible situation for me to get into as, as a strong Northwesterly and a stand-up paddleboard in there. So when I saw this forecast for a Southeast Gale, it was a gift. And so okay. I, jumped, I jumped on it. So it's really experience, I guess. And for those who don't know where Orcas Island is, it's a San Juan Island um, part of Washington State. It's not that far from Victoria uh, and the race stops in Victoria. Um, and yeah, Johnstone Strait can be pretty gnarly for sure. I've been up there. Um, sure here's another question for everybody. Now the race to Alaska is also about having fun and connecting with humans and nature along the route. Now, I'm sure you all have a favorite misadventure or story at sea. So Paula, you must, you must have a lot. <laughs> I've looked at your website. <laughs> um, misadventure is still obviously adventure. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what yeah. It's almost adventure. Good you don't point. quite know what's around the corner. You don't know what's going to hit you next. Uh, and you ride the wave, as it were. So uh, yeah, I've got hundreds, of course. But the, the sailing around the world, um, the yacht race I did, that was a 10-month long race. And it was all the way around the world, around Cape Horn. But um, I think I think some of the most beautiful aspects were like the Southern Lights and the Milky Ways. And you know, at night you've got the phosphorescence of the dolphins torpedoing past the boat. You've got the Southern Lights playing above your head with all the greens and purples and yellows. You've got the crew banter um, on deck. And, uh, and the Milky Way, I mean, it's absolutely stunning. So not really a misadventure, but absolutely stunning sort of surroundings and environment to be in. And then um, there was one where we did, um, do you celebrate April Fools uh, over there? Yeah. So we, we did a spoof story about a submarine that came up and helped us. And um, we, we, we sort of photoshopped in a periscope and talked about how we, had cups of tea and um, chat with the submarine crew. And everyone watching went, it went up in arms because they said, you're not allowed any help. You're not allowed outside assistance and so on. So that was quite funny on that day when we, when we did our April Fool. But mostly the crew banter was, was the, where a lot of the humour came from because you do need humour to lighten the, the mood and uh, lift your spirit sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, how about you, Doug? You, you've um, sailed the Inside Passage for 35 years, so you must you must know a lot of sailors. Over I know a lot of sailors, and you know, I've you know, my wife and I went hitchhiking around the world, so we've crossed some oceans and all this kind of thing. And I, I was thinking of the uh, submarine uh, spoof, and I know many years ago we were sailing uh, down right here at the uh, Strait of Juan de Fuca, and. Um, we just caught uh, a Dungeness spit. Uh, there were four of us on the boat. We'd caught way too many crab to eat. Uh, I think at that time, the limit was six per person. We were young chaps that felt we could each eat six. So four days later, with no refrigeration, the crab had gone bad. The skipper thought that by putting curry in the crab, we could eat it, so we did, and then went out did a night sail uh, to the west side of Vancouver Island with a horrible wind against the current. We were all really sick and then we almost got run over. Suddenly we looked behind us in the dark and there's the red and green lights of a bow 40 feet above us. And we thought we were gonna be run down by a tank, but it was a submarine that then submerged right next to us, a boat length next to us. And then we ran around Cape Beale at night, which was another adventure. We almost went on the rocks, got around the uh, point to a bar in Canada. We all hopped off the boat and got drunk. And then the uh, 
police constable came and arrested us for not clearing customs first. So it was quite a night <laughs> right here where we're starting out in three days. So, or a few days. A submarine from where? Oh, I don't know. Probably the submarine base down here where that is Bremerton, you know, yeah, yeah. it just popped wow. up and went right back down. And I don't know if you ever saw us or not, you know, it's the middle of the night. So we were not doing well, but yeah, it was a good adventure. How about you, Carl? I, I have to say that the story of your race on the paddleboard when the elderly woman came and brought you muffins kind of brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> it was such a lovely thing. It was amazing. Yeah, that, that was actually the year I did not make it to Ketchikan. Um, okay. I, I tried it in 2016 and blew up my board the first day and then went to the back to the drawing board and had a custom one built and went back and was able to complete it. 2017. Um, but in 2016, I was in the Gulf Islands. And um, I knew that the next day I was going to hit the stop button because my board was just full of water and it, it was not going well. Um, and I was there in my tent. And I and I heard this just really faint outside the tent, Heart of Gold, which is the, my team name. And uh, I peek out and there's this little old lady with a bag of fresh scones and peach chutney. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> She came into my tent and um, we sat there and I ate every single one of those scones. It was amazing. We had some really nice conversations. She was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Very sweet. Um, Paula, uh, you've mentioned, you've talked about this a little bit um, uh, earlier, but what advice do you have for optimizing endurance during a physical test like this? Like you talked about, um, you know, mentally preparing too, but how do you keep on the treadmill? You know what I mean? Like the race is coming, but you've got to keep that physical, like Doug was talking about um, keeping fit, skiing and all that kind of stuff. Like, like, cause you have to step it up a little bit, I think from your usual routine, if you have this goal in mind. So how do you keep doing that day after yeah. day, keeping fit? Well, as you say, discipline and routine um, are huge importance. So the little habits, the little, you know, the discipline, the routine, the habits, they've really got to kick in and you lean on them and they create the structure for days, you know, whether it's three o'clock in the morning or going off watch or whatever it is, that, that absolute discipline routine and sticking to it and having all those little, you know, set pieces that you can play to, because otherwise it can all go to pot and before you know it, you're, you know, you, you get lethargic or lazy or give up or whatever. So you, so that holds everything together. That's the rigidity or the, or the structure that holds you and your mission in place. Um, then, of course, there's, as I said before, there's, you know, fun and enjoyment and laughter. So trying to somehow facilitate some fun, <laughs> even when things are tough. So like Carl was saying earlier, just absolutely practicing meditation or curiosity or wonder and awe at just the tiniest of droplets on your sail or the absolute sunrise, you know, or, or camaraderie or a hot cup of tea or I keep saying tea, sorry, I'm British, coffee, whatever. But, you know, the lovely, happy moments because um, scientifically they, they reset us. Um, so if we're feeling negative or down, it's the happier times, the awe, the gratitude, the wonder, the the you know all that stuff that that um, d sort of um, takes away the stresses and the chemicals and all that stuff that's built up from the negative stuff. 
for those two things. Um, as I said before, looking forward to the to the kind of finale or the end point or the success or or uh, having a hot sauna afterwards or whatever it is, but then also bring it back in and grinding those hours and miles and knots out. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, one step at a time and you know every inch and every mile and so on really matters. Um, any games or communication with the outside world can obviously break break the day up a bit. And the third quarter is the hardest time. So, you know, you're over halfway and you've had a little buzz of, you know, success, but you're not quite in that last quarter. So the third quarter of any endurance event is quite often the toughest. Um, so that's that's the one to look out for and, you know, get all those motivating things happening, whether that's games or goals or distractions or, or communications or whatever it is. And my last one is um, segmentation. So if you break down the whole, um, I don't know, stretch of water into uh, hours or knots or, or mileage or whatever, then, then that's segmentation and you can gradually tick them off so you can actually see progress and celebrate progress. And each time you've achieved, I don't know, 10 nautical miles, a little dance on deck or something and it and it sort of is a nice celebration to do as you achieve each chunk right so it's kind of keeping that reward in in mind when you're doing this like you can reward yourself with that sauna you can reward yourself with a dance on deck you can reward yourself with a uh, yeah a hot drink tea yeah yeah Doug, are you yeah are you taking notes doug Oh, I, yeah, copious notes, yes. <laughs> Dancing on deck, that's my specialty. <laughs> so, um, Doug... stuck in the harness sometimes, but, you know, it's... <laughs> Doug, what are, what are the pros of sailing solo? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find that out because it's not something I have really done a lot, a lot of. And, um, you know, I, uh, I'm not sure I can think of a whole, a whole lot of them, you know? got to do everything for myself. And, uh, you know, um, so, uh, and, you know, I've sailed with so many different people and, um, you know, it, it turns into quite a, quite a tight little, uh, quite a tight little club. And there's people watching your back and, you know, the watch and bringing, you know, oh, while you're down there, bring me a cup of cocoa. So it's like, oh no, I've got to go make my own cocoa. So I think, you know, it's quite, it's quite a personal challenge to me. I will be learning a lot. And I think um, for me, the destination, uh, you know, the journey is the destination. I like what Carl's been talking about with the meditation and so on, because this coast is so astounding. There is always, yeah, if you can't meditate on rain, you aren't going to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, the wildlife, the smells, the sounds, um, you know, every day is going to be, you know, just making the next point and that'll be a, a success for me. I'm certainly not in it to win. It's a personal quest. And, uh, you know, when you first think of reefing, that's when you reef and, um, you know, I can tech, I can put this boat up on a beach, you know, if the weather's bad, I'm going to sit and watch the people. I've already got steak knives, you know, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to take my time, be safe and, um, you know, try to, try to, uh, just enjoy the immersion, um, 
but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's a it's a new experience for me, and so um, you know, yeah, I'm taking copious notes. <laughs> okay, so so very key here is being safe, and the Race to Alaska Review Committee says that they look for one quality in applicants above all the rest, and that's someone who's smart enough to know when to quit. And and I know that's something that you've had to do with um, that you've had to deal with, Carl. Um, because you plan uh, an over 3,000 kilometer paddle through the Northwest Passage, and I think you had to postpone the trip already once. Uh, so uh, what happened there? Why were you, did you have to postpone? Yeah, <clears throat> that happened. And, you know, the, basically the same exact thing happened in R2AK. You know, I came to do it in 2016 and broke up my board and back to the drawing board and came back and made it happen in 2017. Um, and for this Northwest Passage paddle, um, you know, I mean, I, it's probably worthy of a whole seminar like this just to talk about that decision to go from, you know, R2AK to the to what I view as the next logical step in my progression as a paddler and an adventurer. Um, but it's a massive step, you know. This is a it, it's a monstrously huge project and humbling in so many ways. Um, and, you know, I got up there to talk to Yaktuk, um, thinking that I was going to start paddling. And um, I, I came to this place where I realized that I, as a person, was nowhere near who I needed to be in order to be a success and come out the other end who I wanted to be there. Um, I just simply hadn't done the homework yet. Um, you know, physically, I was, I was in great shape. Um, but my my life in general was was a bit on the messy side. You know, I was heading into a divorce, and you know there there was a there was a checklist. There's a whole laundry list of things that <clears throat> created a bit of undertow for me that um, mentally made it unreasonable for me to step into the water and uh, you know yeah. realistically think I'd be successful. And so, in the last couple of years, you know, obviously the world got COVID and, you know, like Doug was saying, you know, I sat around here, you know, sitting on my thumbs, you know, I paddled still quite a lot and, you know, I live on the water. I live here on the boat um, and kept after the training and just literally went down the checklist. Okay. I've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with this. And, and then eventually as I got down through that checklist, what I, what I noticed was starting to happen is just like for R2, like prior to the R2AK, I started having dreams, you know, I would wake up dreams about the race, you know, scenarios, you know, I'd wake up at two in the morning and my brain was working on scenarios. Okay, here you are at Cape Caution and this is what's happening. And just, it would just throw me this curveball, and I'd, and I'd work my way through those, you know, that was my two o'clock in the morning work. And what I noticed, you know, in getting ready for this Northwest Passage paddle is that once I got two thirds of the way through that checklist of life stuff, things that I needed to handle in order to be ready for this, my brain started doing that. You know, these scenarios started coming up um, and just random thoughts would come to me during the day and would, would put me on my board in the Arctic. And um, it, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a part of my preparation process for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question well enough, but. Yeah. No, it sounds like a fair amount of self-reflection, Paula, is kind of key to knowing if you're ready for an adventure. You know, you know, the turning point for me was, you know, you know, it's only just a handful of months ago, actually. Um, 
you know, prior to going up to talk to Yaktuk, you know, I, I, I had set a date and, you know, in my mind, you always show up, right? Like I had said to myself and that, and that's that, um, discipline that Paul is talking about. I had set a date and I'm going to start paddling and, and I showed up, you know, I went up there and I realized when I got there that I wasn't ready, but even before leaving, you know, and heading up there, um, when I would think about the paddle, you know, I just had these overwhelming feelings of anxiety and just like, ah, oh, you know, just too much. And single digit months ago, I rounded a corner where when I started thinking about the Northwest Passage, it was that wonder. It was like, God, I can't wait to see what happens when I round this peninsula and I look down towards the, you know, it, it, it was it was a feeling of joy and freedom when I think about some of those places. You know, I've been studying charts exhaustively and reading and just doing doing that sort of homework, but that anxiety is gone. And and that was how I knew that it's it's time. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, we we talked about um, mental preparation, uh, uh, physical preparation, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I have to ask, because I don't think, like I, we, Paul and I were surprised to find out that uh, Carl was nearing 50. Um, and, you know, none of us are here are necessarily in prime physical shape, right? At, you know, people get older. <laughs> okay well some of us get older yeah. <laughs> i won't tell you what birthday i've got coming up in two weeks but, but what, what paula what i'd like to ask you is um at what point do we understand like you have to understand that you're we're, we're all of us are on a glass mountain at some point in our lives especially if you're really active right like and you're you do these adventures and at some point we'll physically be sliding down that mountain. Um, but how do you know when you've reached that point? And it's not about, it's not something else that's going on. Your, the, your mental um, or physical toughness, right? How do you know? It's just like, well, <laughs> that's an interesting line because that's when you get hurt and injured, right? Really? It's yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one to call because I, I do think a lot of these events are, 90% about the, the mental toughness, actually. And I know you're right, we can get more brittle and our elasticity mentally and physically can get quite, quite brittle when we get older. But actually, so much of it is about the mental agility and ability and capacity and dexterity. And that, of course, improves with age up to, you know, quite a late age, let's say. So I'm 54, Carl's 50. Doug's, I don't know what next in the next two weeks. But He's ageless. Know, <laughs> it does us good. You know, we're, we're looking pretty healthy, I think, for our age. And this sort of stuff does us good. So on balance, I'd much rather we kept pushing and enjoying yeah. the fresh air and the wonder of nature and mindfulness and physical fitness and movement for as long as possible. And if you look at, you know, some, I always look at ancient like mountaineers, like um, Mesner, who, who was mountaineering into his 80s and he was so fit and agile, he was amazing. So, so I think as long as we warm up and do our stretches mentally and physically, we can push on and push on and it's really good for us. Um, and obviously our psychology affects our physical side and it's a system and our physical fitness affects our psychology. But generally it's super healthy for us, super good for us. 
just going wild swimming or cold water swimming, for instance, look at that craze. So um, I don't I don't see age as a limiting factor at all. Just be self-aware and have realistic um, optimism and feasible belief. Okay, great. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. Um, one thing that um, we're going to move on to the questions uh, shortly. I'm just going to ask uh, Carl one question because you're dealing with something that perhaps nobody else in the race is dealing with, and that's grief. Um, so I'm so sorry for the loss of your wife. Um, I read your bio on the race to Alaska, and it was such a poignant obituary. Ellen Wolf passed away peacefully September 4th, 2019, surrounded by family and close friends. She would rather be sailing. <laughs> that was lovely. So, you know, yeah. you sailed the inside passage for 35 years. How has readying yourself for this adventure affected your grief? Uh well, I think I think it's uh, been really healthy. You know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot. You know, oh, you know, I got so many books on grief. When, after I'll die, is ridiculous. But they all, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that get you through grief. And uh, I feel like I have popped out the other side. You know, a lot of it was just living with the same person for 42 years. You kind of forget who you are as an individual. You know, because you're reading each other's minds. So, you know, but mostly it's, you know, I have a strong, a good group of friends that were looking out for me. Um, but then COVID hit, and we couldn't see each other, you know, uh, except for outside, a lot of winter bocce ball playing, um, building this boat, having a project that took a lot of, you know, work was, was really positive. And um, uh, yeah, and um, then uh, just uh, less near ago, I, I've, I've met another woman who made me this nice uh, R2AK t-shirt. So, um, you know, that's, that's been a great thing. About the time I felt like, yeah, I'm back. Doug's back. I'm not half a person. I'm a whole person. And I think uh, this, this trip is uh, sort of, you know, uh, popping out the other side. Okay. Um, you know, I obviously planned it before I had someone else uh, in my life, but um yeah, I'm feeling like, okay, uh, let's, let's see what I can do as an individual and let's see if I can still go sailing as an individual. And, um, and I built, uh, when I, when I finished this boat, um, which wasn't long ago, uh, I thought the smart thing would be spend the summer sailing up in Alaska. And then next year, you know, work the kinks out, make sure I'm a good solo sailor and then do the R2AK. But now we get to that age thing. I'm, I'm turning 69 in two weeks. It's like, God, am I going to make it to 70? I better do this while I can. I'm feeling good. You know, so that, that helped. Uh, it was a good push. And it's, uh, you know, whether I get as far as Victoria or the Sydney bakery or who knows how far I will get, but it's been all part of a uh, really good healing process. And I think Ellen's been with me through it and she would completely disapprove of this race. <laughs> she would say, I, I think I put this in my bio. It's like bicycling through the Louvre. You know, the point of the Northwest Passage is to enjoy every bay, hike every creek, swim every lake, you know. So and instead, we're just going to zip right on by, but it's going to be awesome. So I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited to get started. You know, uh, I can't believe it. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thank you. So we have some really great questions. And Carl, this is for you. Um, I'm so curious about how you carried enough food and other gear on your paddleboard. For the, for the R2AK, I'm assuming. Um, for that one, because, because it's an unsupported race, um, that was actually one of the first 
big questions I needed to answer is how I was going to deal with that. Uh, because knowing the inside passage uh, the way I do, um, I know that resupply is not, you know, it's not really an option in a lot of places and the, and the food you might get isn't appropriate for that degree of um, athletic output. Um, so what I did for that race, actually, one, one of my sponsors is Hammer Nutrition, who, um, you know, they're up in Montana um, and they produce uh, fuels for endurance athletes and have for about the last 30 years or so. And um, I made the commitment to fuel that way um, just because the, you know, the support, the very focused support athletically is there um, without all the extra bulk and also the need to cook it. Um, so I was using, um, you know, so I didn't need, I did bring a stove for, for coffee and my, my one cup of miso every night was, you know, this like bit of joy that I had in my cold, wet, hungry tent. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and a little bit of coffee in the morning was the same. So I did bring a stove in the, in, for that, but, uh, Anyway, so I was on rocket fuel the whole way. Um, I was using, um, you know, recovery shakes right after I got done paddling. Um, they have a product called Perpetuum Solids, which are, you know, they're, they, they go down a lot like a malt ball kind of thing. It's, you know, you chew it up and four of those per hour were the calories that I needed to keep going. Um, you know, when you're expending that many calories, there's actually an upper limit to how many calories you can actually uh, absorb. Um, and you know, depending on your BMI, age, weight, all that sort of thing, um, there's a there's an algorithm to figure out how many calories that is. And so, um, at the time, it was four four of those per hour for me while I was paddling. So as soon as I got up, I'd start eating them and eat them all day long. And then when I got done paddling, it was a recovery shake, um, a whey shake, and then my miso, and it was off to bed for me. And um, uh, and then I, I did stop a couple places and get burgers. You know, I stopped in Campbell River and got a burger and I stopped in Bella Bella and got a burger there too. Nice. Um, uh, so, so in that way, I was able to keep my kit really light um, and not need to resupply because the way I looked at the coast was, you know, I, I really wanted to keep my options open. Uh, I didn't want to have a, a set route. I'm going to go this way because like Paul has been saying, you know, I wanted to stay flexible and just you know, just use what conditions were thrown my way to my best advantage. And so I didn't want to be stuck to a route. And so I carried everything I needed from day one. <clears throat> and those burgers were acted like that reward system Paula was talking about too. If I make it there. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> they were wonderful to eat, but it was, I deeply regretted the decision. <laughs> yeah. My stomach didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> So this is for all of you. If you could use one word, what word would you use to describe what you get from these extreme adventures? Paula, is there any word that pops into your head to start with you? For me, it's pride, but not in a big headed way. So kind of the sense of achievement really, but that's more than one word, so pride. Okay, pride, cool. Doug. You know, I'm just starting my big adventure. So I'd have to say, uh, you know, some balance of excitement and trepidation where <laughs> okay. I am. And how about you, Carl? Well, you know, I mean, that's, a, that's really hard to do. Um, but I'd have to say that, like, in all the things that I've signed myself up for in, in life, I think the end 
goal has always been growth, you know, and our, our 2AK was certainly that, you know, I think that like when, for me anyway, one of the biggest measuring sticks is how much can you do with how little, you know, and to step into this coast with not very much and throw yourself out there and pull it off like that. Um, it was a, um, it was a huge exercise in growth for me and uh, it definitely didn't so much change me as just made me more who I was to begin with. You know, I mean, it was, it was just an expansion of my skill set and and my confidence and in, in taking on projects like this. So I'd have to say growth. Cool. Now, Paula, um, one of the audience members that would like to know, is there something psychologically that separates people who like to take such extreme adventures from people that are just content to go for a short camp or sail? <laughs> there's a bit of a debate about this one and there's no um, there's no hard and fast evidence so there has been a debate there are there are five traits um, that are deemed to be universal and uh, considered to be fairly fixed within people rather than you know changing all the time and um, one of them is openness to experience which for me just absolutely smacks of willingness to go on an adventure. So somebody's openness to experience, um, I think obviously if that was quite high, then one is more likely to be more comfortable going off and doing these crazy things. So that's one of them. Um, but um, <laughs> it's a bit nature nurture debate. There are certain character types or traits that um, would suggest some people are more exploratory than others. But then how do you define you know, adventure? It could literally just be making a cake if you've never made a cake before. So it's very personal, um, it's very subjective and um, our comfort zone and stretch zone and so on and what we, deemed to be risky or fearful is so different calibrated with everyone uniquely. So um, that's my fudgy answer. <laughs> no, it's good. It makes sense. And I think you're right that, the, uh, you know, what is adventure to, you know, one person is somebody else's non-adventure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Personal choice. Um, Carl, I, I You've said stand-up paddleboards are the most efficient form of human-powered transportation. Why do you think that? Um, a few different reasons. I mean, I, I think that it takes a, it takes miles for that to to for that opinion of mine to to bear out. Um, I think that over a wider range of conditions, um, that is true. You know, and that and that was certainly borne out in the R two AK. I think in calm, say, say in calm conditions over the entire course, a kayak could win hands down or an OC one, if someone could sit down that long or something. Um, but there's so many compelling reasons. Um, like the fact, you know, like we were talking earlier about Johnstone Strait and that Southeast Gale. Um, I was averaging about 11 knots on that stand-up paddleboard because it's non-displacement and it can surf, right? Um, kayaks are much less efficient in those conditions. Um, and then other conditions like Cape Caution, you know, the next big hurdle in that race. Um, I was out in conditions where the, the swells were double overhead. You know, I'm six feet tall and they're that much taller than I was. Um, and I was comfortable in those conditions because I was on a surfboard. Uh, if I fell off, all I had to do is get back on again. You know, if you did a wet exit 
in a canoe or an OC1 or a kayak in those conditions, you might really have a problem. Um, so I, I think that in a wider range of conditions, you know, I can, I, I can accelerate in side chop, for example, where in other types of paddle craft can be a little dicey. Um, so I, I, so that, that opinion of mine is based upon a wide range of conditions over miles. Um, you know, if you just pit a, a stand up paddleboard against a kayaker, you know, of course the kayak would win. Um, right. You know, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm glad uh, to hear that uh, answer. Um, so we, it's time to wrap up. I wanna thank you so much for joining us. And um, I guess I just wanna leave this with, do you have anything that you'd like the audience to leave with, any takeaways for them? Doug, anything? Um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think so. I think compared to uh, the other two uh, interviewees, I'm, you know, if I can do this, you know, other people should feel like they can do it. You don't have to uh, be of the, well, what do I know? I haven't started yet, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling uh, confident and I'm, uh, you know, excited and, you know, anybody that has a, a dream of whatever sort, and maybe it is making a cake, you know, just do it, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's, this is so yep that's all i'd have to say good advice how about you carl you know i mean a, a lot of these conversations we've been having about age and you know and all of that it just it just makes me think you know aren't we all just working with what we've got you know um i'm working with what i've got and and i really want to push myself to to that next step of growth you know and you know for the next person it might be just riding their bicycle around the block you know i mean i'd like to leave people that notion of just what's you know what what's your next challenge you know right paula how about you any take takeaways the audience should have yeah, if I could do one practical one and one a bit um, woo-woo. The practical one is, um, you know, I, I've sailed around the world, I've skied to South Pole, I've, I've cycled across 15 countries, but actually it's only skiing, it's only cycling, it's only sailing. You're just doing a lot of it. So don't be overwhelmed by the enormity of the challenge. It's, it's literally just, you know, sailing or paddling one hour at a time. <laughs> It's when you put it all together, it seems really daunting. So that's my first practical tip. And then to go a bit um, high level, these things can actually transform us or, um, you know, create transcendence. So the fully present point that Carl made, it's such an incredible opportunity to do these things. And nature is an awesome um, thing, as we know, it's precious, but the environment is incredible. And just from, from one raindrop to a, a sunrise on the far horizon, um, to be fully present, to absolutely live and enjoy every single moment, whether it's tough or grim or beautiful or exciting, but to just absolutely be fully present for the whole thing and practice that meditation or curiosity or whatever it is to get you absolutely there in the moment, um, living life to the full during that whole trip. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. That's a really great way to wrap this up. I really appreciate it. I feel inspired because uh, I just, I'm just learning how to sail and I can do it. <laughs> 
So good luck on your race, Doug. And thank you both for joining thank us. You. Good luck with your trip, Carl, and your cycling uh, trip, Paula. Have, have, a, have a good time with that too. Thanks and good luck, Doug. Yeah, thank you. you, Doug. Thanks, Jude. Thanks. Good luck, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye.